Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 118. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How you doing, Kevin? Fantastic. How's your holiday weekend treating you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, we're, we're recording this a little bit late due to the holiday, but we still got it. We, we'll crank it out. We'll do our best here. It might be a little bit of a shorter episode, but we'll, we'll make it work. We should make everyone happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, today we'll be uh, talking about someone we've been watching before getting Film Pulse contributor Ernie Trinidad back on the show for a feature review of X-Men Days of Future Past. And finally we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand, and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up, let's go ahead and talk about some of what we've been watching. I had a pretty light week this week. Um, I, I kicked it off with, uh, I'll just do them together. I watched two DC animated movies. Okay. So I saw... Son of Batman and Justice League War, which both came out this year. Son of Batman is the newest one, and then the one before that was Justice League War, which um, the the Justice League War one I liked a whole lot. It was really, really good. Um, Normally, I like these DC animated movies, but this one was like... It was just really high up there for me. It was very... It was very dark. It was very adult. There's a lot of violent scenes in it. Okay. Uh, but it was it was great. I mean, it was everything that we could want from a Justice League movie, where it's it's like the scope is huge. You know, with whenever you get a Justice League movie, the the stakes better be freaking huge. You know, to justify why you would have all these like ridiculously overpowered characters working together and. It basically, the plot of this covers uh, the new 52. So back in, when was that? Maybe 2011, 2012, when DC did their big reboot of their comic books and they scrapped mm-hmm. everything and mm-hmm. started over. This is the, one of the storylines of that. Oh, okay. So it deals with the Justice League first forming. It's before they were even called the Justice League. And it was when all the characters were first meeting each other for for the first time. And they all had to band together in order to fight Darkseid, who was coming down to Earth in order to basically devour it. And it was it was really cool. I mean, we didn't they didn't waste time with like origin stories or any of that craziness. Like all of the the characters were already established, but it was just that they never really met each other before. And then, of course, by the end of the movie, that's when they formed the Justice League. So it was really cool. Had a lot of fun with it. Uh, Son of Batman was also pretty good. Uh, that covers the storyline of Batman's son, Damien. Oh. And his, uh, his um, he, like, Batman didn't even know that this kid existed. And then he finds out and takes him under his wing, so to speak. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And he becomes the new Robin eventually. I'm not sure where he's at in the comic books right now. I actually just started reading these comics. Uh, so I'm not really sure where it fits in with the comics as they stand now. Mm-hmm. But it was still a, it was a pretty interesting story. Because I, I knew who Damien was. I knew that he became Robin. I knew like his relationship uh, with Batman and all that stuff. But I never really... It's because I didn't read that storyline. I didn't really know how all that fit in. Yeah. Uh, so it was pretty interesting. <clears throat> of course, I, I 
thought that Justice League War was way more entertaining. The only thing that I think that Son of Batman had over Justice League War was that Son of Batman dealt with more... Um, there, were, there were more kind of uh, dramatic elements in Son of Batman. Like, more, there was more story there. Whereas Justice League War was basically just nonstop action. Which is fine in a cartoon movie. Yeah. But it was still cool to see in a Batman story where you actually have detective elements and stuff like him figuring things out and solving a mystery. And I always like that too. So I would, I would recommend both of them actually, if you're into comic book movies. Gotcha. Now the Justice League one, does it, does it end with them picking their name? Uh, sort of. Yeah. Sort of a little, (laughs) a little bit. There's actually, it's kind of a joke at the end when they, when they do that but yeah it's it's kind of funny that was the other thing like batman is such a badass in the justice league one that he's he's always like making jokes and because they have him cracking wise yeah like at the beginning he's kind of facing off against green lantern and that was funny because the character of green lantern is kind of a wise cracker as well so that was fun to see them going at it but uh yeah definitely recommend both of them like the animation is solid uh, with Son of Batman, it kind of looks more more like an anime style, whereas Justice League War has a similar style, but it looks closer to uh, like the other Justice League movies. Like, um, what was the other one I liked a lot? It was called Justice League Doom. Ooh. That was the one that came out, I think, last year that I liked a lot. Or maybe that was two years ago. Oh, boy. But yeah, I recommend them both. They're, they're fun. Good fun. Good fun. And and again, the dialogue in Justice League War is really, really good. Hmm. Well, how about that? Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. I have one that I'm slightly in the middle with here called A Touch of Sin, which is currently on Netflix Instant. This was the newest film by Jia Jangku. It's a Pump Door nominated film from 2013. He won Best Screenplay for this. This is perhaps his most accessible film to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little over two hours. Uh, gets a bit repetitive after a while. It's four loosely connected stories involving uh, like marginalized residents of these Chinese areas sort of reaching their breaking point and then lashing out with violence. And it's just kind of like sin begetting sin and just sin over and over and over again. Uh, you know, they get upset about corruption and greed, and they just sort of lash out. Like the first the first story, which I think is the best, has a guy trying to figure out, you know, the, the they sold the mine or whatever, and he's trying to figure out what the hell happened to the money and all these promises that were made, and he won't stop asking questions, and he sort of gets, well, he doesn't sort of, he definitely gets beat up for it. And then even the residents of the town start making fun of him for getting beat up. And then he grabs a shotgun and makes everything better for himself. Mm. So it's kind of like a Chinese falling down, the first story. Is that what that was called? Michael Douglas film? Is that falling down? down. Yeah, Mm -hmm. kind of like that. Not as funny. Now, are these like interconnected in any way? Really, really really loose. Really Mm -hmm. loose. But they do try. But the, the problem is that over a little over two hours... It gets a bit repetitive. 
because it's sort of the same thing. I mean, the cinematography is beautiful. It looks amazing. It's got a really cool poster. Yeah, but I mean, it just it gets a bit redundant after a while. Hmm. But uh, like I said, it's probably his most accessible film. So if you want to check out Gia Janku, I would start here. And what were the other ones that you saw by him? I saw uh, 24 City and Still Life, which I thought were much better, where he sort of uses this, uh, he mixes narrative and like documentary styles together, sort of blending the two. This one's just like a straightforward film. There's no like experimental stuff going on. I saw a, a classic from 1958. This is called Touch of Evil, directed by Orson Welles. Now, the version that I saw was the original was like the original I want to say that it was the director's cut, but it wasn't really because they redid it after I believe after Orson Welles passed away. Okay. So basically with this story, uh they he made the film and then when he uh, when the studio saw it, they were like, "Oh, we need to make some changes." So they put the credits at the beginning of the film and then they actually reshot some extra scenes and they added them in and he didn't want that. And he ended up sending this like hundred page uh, letter, just pleading with the studio to not include that stuff, but they did it anyway. And uh, eventually they thought that the original cut of this movie was kind of lost forever. Mm Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, Charlton Heston had that original document that of Orson Welles saying this is, you know, what it is supposed to be. And they took that original document and recut the movie to the specifications of Orson Welles. Nice. So I saw the the one that was meant to be seen. Okay. All right. And it's amazing. I mean, it, it's kind of a film noir about uh, Charlton Heston plays this Mexican uh, investigator and his wife is Janet Lee and they're they're investigating this bombing that occurs right around the Mex- the US Mexico border and Orson Welles plays an American uh, cap- police captain who's investigating this bombing as well and there's all this like these twists and turns and Janet Lee gets kidnapped by these gangsters. And then there's this whole angle of uh, like Charlton Heston starts investigating it and he starts uh, uncovering this uh, why this corruption within the police force. And there's it's just crazy. And it is so much fun. And uh, the opening scene in this movie is a five minute long uh, uh single single take mm-hmm. shot and it is incredible like i don't nice. know if you've seen this i haven't you can yet. watch you can watch it on youtube just like the opening scene it's so amazing like it starts with uh the killer the person who's uh planting the bomb and it's just a close-up of him setting the timer for five minutes and then they show him oh, putting yeah. the bomb in the trunk of a car and then the camera just follows the car as it goes uh, across the border. And basically it happens, it plays out in real time. Nice. And the, the, the shot ends when the car explodes. And they like pan over and they show the rubble and the, the busted up car. It's incredible. 
That's, it is. That's, uh, that sounds like worthy of a ten out of ten, right there. Yeah, I mean, it is. I gave it a ten out of ten. Orson Welles is awesome in this. Orson Welles uh, is awesome in everything. <laughs> yeah, he he's he's so awesome. Uh, Charlton Heston does a really good job in this too, and uh, Janet Lee, of course, is incredible and beautiful, and she's. Uh, the, the dialogue is really snappy too. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're always talking over each other and it just feels really natural. And it's just, you know, the, the dialogue is that kind of cool noir style dialogue that I just eat up anytime I see it in a movie. Uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor's in this too, for a very short amount of time. She's in it for like two seconds. She plays a, a stripper. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Yeah, yeah. I want to see. This. Uh, kind of. It, it's kind of surprisingly dark too. Like for 1958, I mean, it deals with some pretty serious shit. I mean, not just the fact that Charlton Heston plays a Mexican guy who's married to a white woman, but there's like there's a scene when she gets kidnapped and they they shoot her up with heroin. And then they like, yeah. And then they frame her for a murder. Wow. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Wow. Now this is just a curiosity question because I watched an Orson Welles movies, a movie a couple of years back and I haven't been able to figure out what it is. Does this one involve any like funhouse mirrors at the end? No. Damn it. (laughs) What the fuck is that movie? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what, uh. Maybe F is for fake. No, it's not that. I saw that, which is a great yeah. movie. That's really good. <sighs> I don't know what it is. One of these days I'll figure it out. This is this was excellent. I mean, I was never a big fan of Citizen Kane. Like, I actually liked this a whole lot more than Citizen Kane. Yeah. And I don't know if that's, like, blasphemous to say. Yeah. But for me, Citizen Kane was just kind of... It was just so dry and just took forever. This movie's like two hours long. It just it gets in. It, it moves real real quickly. It's it's real upbeat. There's just all kinds of craziness and twists and turns. And there's a big climactic finale. And it's like it's just great. I just I loved every second of this movie. It's just old school Hollywood entertainment. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And I highly recommend checking it out. I have one that's old school Hollywood entertainment, and I highly recommend it. And it's also one that I think you would absolutely love. And that is Billy Wilder's 1950 Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, this is on my list of shame, too. So Touch of Evil is on my list of shame, but this is also on my list of shame. This is also on my list, mostly because before this year, I haven't seen any Billy Wilder movies. And I watched two so far this year. While I respected them, I I can't really say that I fully loved them. Uh, those being uh, Double Indemnity and Lost Weekend. I mean, like, they're good films, but they're too, uh, uh, what's the word, maybe, like, utilitarian for me. Like, there's not, mm-hmm. a, there's not a lot of creativity. It's just sort of just a really strong narrative, and that's it. And yeah. you know me, I'm, I want my visuals. <clears throat> but this was the first movie of his where I got a little bit of both. There's a little bit of creativity in Sunset Boulevard, and the, the narrative is unbelievable this movie was nominated for 11 oscars ended up winning three uh tells the story of like a hack screenwriter who's on the run from the insurance company that are trying to repo his car and while he's 
While they're chasing after him, he blows a tire and he pulls into this mansion's driveway to hide his car. And he thinks the mansion's abandoned. So he goes in and there's a woman there and she tells him, you know, come on upstairs, you're late. You were supposed to be here hours ago. Here it turns out that he was supposed, she's mistaking him for the guy that's supposed to bring a white coffin for a monkey. Okay. (laughs) You with me? Okay. All right. All right. (laughs) So this guy accidentally walks into a monkey funeral. All right. And he gets a bit weirded out. He finds out that her name is Norma Desmond. She used to be a huge movie star back in the silent days, back in the 20s. And she's sort of a recluse now. And she has a pet monkey that just died. And he's like, nope, this is too weird. Got to get out of here. But then he finds out that she's been working on like a script because she wants to make a comeback to the pictures. And she, you know, finds out that he's a screenwriter. So she wants him to look it over, just take a look at it. And then she ends up hiring him on to like rewrite it. Get it's like eight hundred pages of just shit everywhere to try and like bring some sort of cohesion to it. So he ends up staying on this paid gig of like screenwriter slash gigolo. So he starts hanging out with her and her friends that come over and play bridge, which is awesome because they're actually played by like Buster Keaton and Anna Nilsson, who is a star from the twenties. And her, her butler is Eric von Stronheim, who, you know, was a big actor-director in the, in the 20s. And there's actually one sequence where the, she, like at night, she has these where she watches films. And, of course, she's so full of herself that she only watches her films from the good, good old days. Which mm-hmm. the film that they watch is a real-life film where Norma Desmond is played by Gloria Swanson. And Gloria Swanson herself was a big star in the 20s. She was like the highest paid actress in the 20s. And she was in a movie directed by Eric von Stroheim. And that's the movie that they watch. <laughs> so it's got like all these layers to it. Cecil B. DeMille plays himself because she wants uh, DeMille to, you know, direct the, her comeback. And it's just, it's unbelievable. It sounds very meta. It's a, it's a meta. Yeah, movie. which is great because it's 1950. It's just the, the way it, it all works out, is, it's unbelievable. And Gloria Swanson as Norma Desmond is, she is unbelievable in this film. She's just, like the last like 15 to 20 minutes, it's just pure insanity. Where she just goes full on batshit insane. Hmm, okay. So it starts with a monkey funeral, goes to him being a gigolo, and then it goes her being completely insane. How many nice. other movies have done that? <laughs> Zero. Uh, nice, nice. Uh, the only other one that I saw that I wanted to mention, just watched this, not on my letterbox list yet, but Ooh, Jim Mickles, Jim Mickles, Cold in July, oh. just finished it. Oh yeah. Right before we started recording, yeah. Uh, so this is available on demand right now on that letterbox in or not letterbox the redbox instant bullshit again oh really so i rent it on on redbox instant is it only is it only available through that and cable and cable on demand oh it seems like maybe the ones that are the movies that are available on cable on demand only are also available on redbox instant maybe they have some kind of deal going because i know that redbox instant is through verizon Oh, so yeah. maybe that has something to do with it. More than likely. So, so I had to rent it on Redbox Instant. Um, and, of course, I rent it on my Xbox One. It didn't using work. Using the app. Didn't work. Like, <laughs> I paid for it. 
and I go to play it, and it says, there's an error playing this title. Try again later. And, of course, it took my money, but it wasn't letting me pay for it. (laughs) It never has any problem taking your money. Yeah. Never. So, fortunately, I have a computer connected to my big TV in my living room, and I was able to pull it up just, like, in in a web browser and watch it. But, at any rate, the movie itself is excellent. Uh, I will say that Jim Mickle is definitely coming into his own with this directing business (laughs) because this is by far his his best movie to date. And I liked We Are What We Are, but this is like leaps and bounds above that. Good. That's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. So basically it takes place in the mid 80s in Texas and it stars Michael C. Hall as a, a guy who wakes up in the middle of the night and he hears someone breaking into his home and he grabs his gun. He accidentally kills the person uh, who's a burglar. And then Sam Shepard plays the father of the person who got killed. And Sam Shepard goes after Michael C. Hall. And th- that's just the the very broad strokes of the movie. Mm-hmm. There are th- There's a lot more to it than that that I wouldn't dare you know divulging mm-hmm. uh but it's so much more than your typical kind of revenge thriller like don't expect that yeah it's more like it's more like true detective actually okay it takes some really interesting twists and turns uh it's got a really great score by jeff grace it's got this kind of pounding 80s synth score and this is the same guy that did, uh, like, he did uh, Night Moves. Night Moves? Which is, yeah, which is coming out. And he also did We Are What We Are and um, Stakeland, which was Jim Jim Mickle's previous movie. But he also did, like, The Innkeepers and Meek's Cutoff. And, oh, okay. Yeah, so he's he's got a quite a quite a nice uh, roster of movies that he's done the, the, the score for. And it's great. And it just... <sighs> The movie is just so 80s, and I love it. And it's very, it's a very dark movie. It's very, uh, it's very depressing. It's co- it's very colorless. So it's not the, the kind of 80s that yeah would be something like Drive, where you would uh, see lots of neon and you know sleek lasers, laser grids. <laughs> It's it's the kind of it's the kind of eighties that you're not Wait a proud th- you're not proud of Wait like a pastels and you're telling me cold in July has no laser grids there are no laser grids you fucking kidding me in cold in July but it why, is a, why would I want to see it then because it's amazing okay even without the laser grids like he has to get a new couch. And it's he, and they decide on getting a floral pattern couch, and it's like this peach, oh, <laughs> floral God. color couch. Does it tie the whole room together though? It does, and he and he wears like pleated khaki shorts that are t- that's like tucked into a pastel colored shirt, and it's just it's just so eighties. When you when you see it, you're just like, yep. What? But there's also this kind of uh, you know rural. Texas redneck town kind of vibe to it. Southern draw on that. Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely that too, and that's what kind of reminded me of True Detective. And 
some of the things that happen happen later in the film reminded me of True Detective as well. Like, but, like, like cigarette gymnastics. <laughs> uh, no, not uh. a whole lot of that. I mean, Sam Shepard in this movie is incredible as always. I, I love him, and another person in this movie, Don Johnson. Don Johnson, and he is awesome in this movie. He plays a private eye, and he's just a badass. His name's Jim Bob. <laughs> Uh, fuck highly recommend wow. seeing cold in july it's it's very very fun hmm hmm i, th- I think you'll like it yeah i'm i'm definitely interested in seeing this one I've heard a lot of good like, things and now from you too okay yeah i mean there's like there's some comedy in it but it is a very very serious story i mean i'm kind of bummed out about the laser grids but yeah I think I can get well, over it. what can you do jim bob i mean you got that couch buying Don Johnson reminded me of Matthew McConaughey in this movie. So, so. Uh, nice. I uh, I scratched another one off of my list of shame. That's the directorial debut of Dennis Hopper, 1969. Mm. Easy Rider. Have you ever seen Easy Rider? I have. Yeah. I really wish times. I didn't see this movie because it was pretty much shit. I remember the the first time that I saw Easy Rider, I. I didn't understand why it was such a big deal, (laughs) but I was a lot younger and subsequent viewings made me appreciate it more. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen with me. This I like the first 50 minutes, like before Jack Nicholson shows up, this movie is complete garbage. It's just garbage. It's just them riding around on motorcycles. That's it. Well, the thing about Easy Rider is... I, I don't, it's definitely not the type of movie for me, which is saying something because I generally like these kinds of movies, you know, like this is not some big studio movie. This is no. like basically a grindhouse film. You know, this, this is a movie that played like midnight shows and stuff, but, or can. but at the same time, like this is a movie that kind of, yeah, this is <laughs> kind of a movie that revolutionized American filmmaking during this time i mean this this ushered in independent cinema in the 70s uh i hope not i, I think, think it did i think well maybe but i think before that we're we already had people doing it i mean this reminded me a lot of sort of the same style kind of the same message being uh brought across as toby hooper's eggshells made in the same year and I'm not sure which one's better because I didn't like eggshells either. I I should just disclaimer: I don't like hippies. All right, they annoy the shit out of me. So that could have a problem. Maybe that's why I didn't like this movie that much. But again, like 75% of this film is just them riding on motorcycles. It's like Sweet Sweetbacks, badass song, except with people's running is replaced with these two guys on motorcycles. And Peter Fonda, holy shit, he is terrible in this film. He's just absolutely horrendous acting-wise. I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. Everything he says is just so unbelievably fake, and just oh my god, he's like he's not even a real person in this film. Nicholson saves it from being complete shit. He shows up and he's unbelievable. Now the weird thing about Nicholson being in it is Nicholson is in one scene, which is by far the worst scene in the entire movie, which is 
Peter Fonda giving him a joint and telling him to smoke some grass, <laughs> which is like perhaps one of the worst scenes I've ever seen in my life. And then he's also responsible for the best scene in the entire movie, which is the only scene that they actually say something at all. It was when he's talking to Dennis Hopper and he's telling him, you know, that they're scared of him because he represents freedom and everything. And it's it's this like moment of clarity where the film actually says something and you're like, oh, yeah, here we go. Here we go. They're They're going to do something with this. And then like as soon as that scene's over with, they just go back to nothing. And it's just them riding on motorcycles. And then they trip some acid in like a Louisiana cemetery. And it goes to like Eastern European style cinematography. And it plays off like a shitty version of Czech New Wave. And everything is awful. It's terrible. This movie sucks. I'm sorry. Easy Rider sucks. Yeah. Um, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't think it sucks, but... It's been a long time I think since I've seen now, it. So. Okay. So this film is pretty much responsible for using, you know, popular music as your soundtrack instead of using a film score. Which the only reason that came about is because the editor's combing through like fifteen fucking hours of them riding around on motorcycles. So he's listening to music to make it somewhat bearable. And that's where they get the idea of like, yeah, let's use that as the soundtrack. So thank you, editor, for that. And the the final sequence, the final shot where the, the motorcycle explodes and the camera flies up into the heavens, that's amazing. That's like one star right there mm. for that. I'll give you that. But everything else is just, good God. And, it, you know, it's made without a script. And, man, does it show. Because they don't say shit throughout this movie. Except yeah. for that one moment of clarity, Jack Nicholson. And that's about it. Everything else is just them being like, oh, man, that, like that. That's the screenplay. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man, there was like a, there was a UFO, man. Oh, you're high, you're high as shit, man. You got any more of that grass? Yeah, that's the fucking movie. Are you kidding me? Fucking hollow movie. It's shit. Mm, mm. I don't like Easy Rider. Fuck you, Easy Rider. I'm surprised you didn't get any, uh, people on letterboxd commenting on your review because they know i'm right Ooh. <laughs> no i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm just kidding but no i did not i maybe if i watch it again down the road but it doesn't does it sound like i'm going to do that no no i mean I, i'm not going to revisit <laughs> it anytime soon i'm just like sure. the whole the first 50 minutes of this maybe i'm like what the fuck am i missing like what, what are people talking about it's Why is this a existential, classic? It's just an existential road trip movie, man. They're just what, they're on what's, the road. What's their existential crisis? They're just riding they're just, motorcycles. They're on the road, man. They don't. They don't have. They don't have anything to say. They don't have a direction. They're just trying to find their way, man. They're just trying to find their way on the road. <laughs> they're just tr- trying to find a, a meaning of it all in this mixed up, crazy place. But I don't even think they're doing that. No, they're just doing drugs. <laughs> they're and just this. smoking weed and <laughs> riding just, motorcycles. That's it. They're just raising hell. Just raising hell and smoking grass. Smoking grass, camping out in the middle of the night, riding motorcycles. That's about they're it. Balling, balling chicks. <laughs> they don't even really ball chicks in this. No. No. But I like how they used to say that back then. <laughs> I wonder when that term disappeared. Because you don't, you don't hear that anymore. You don't say, yeah, I was... Balling oh, man. chick. I was, was balling that chick. Like, you just don't hear that anymore. 
there's two people are balling up in my room. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, well, in eggshells, they do say like, "Oh, what are, what are they doing?" They're like, "Oh, they're fixing the fuck." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I, you know, I'm not going to include this, but all I can think about when you said that was. <laughs> John John Barshinger pulling up to us. Hey, what's up, guys? What are you What are you What are you doing? I'm gonna go to my girlfriend's house. Give her the dick. <laughs> All right, see you later. <laughs> Give her the dick. Oh, the other the other terrible thing about Easy Rider is, you know, they go to a commune, and like I already said, I'm I'm not a fan of hippies. I'm not a fan of communes. And to make matters worse, there's mimes mm. at the commune. Like, it's already bad enough that it's a hippie commune, but you gotta fucking throw mimes into the too? Come on. That's just rude. Miming it up? Alright, any others? I watched uh, one other one that I don't have on Letterboxd here, which uh, I think you're probably actually interested in. That's the strange color of your body's tears. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you saw Amir, right? Their first... Film, uh, and Lena Kate and Bruno for Forzani. It's called was there... Amir from two thousand nine. I don't remember. Or Amir, A M E R. A M E R. I don't remember. No, I don't think I saw this. Oh, okay. Well, this is their follow up, and wow, it's uh, they employ a lot of the what's. What's that horror genre from the 60s, 70s that you love? Giallo. Yes, Giallo. A lot of Giallo stuff in here. Just tons of it. So many artistic flourishes that they use. I mean, repeated takes at different angles, depths, split screens, quad split screens, black and white experimental sequences, negative exposures, color washes, quick zooms. Love it. Everything. All in like an Art Nouveau nightmare. And the story is really simple. Guy comes home from a business trip. Wife is missing. He can't be, he doesn't know where his wife is, trying to find his wife. Gets really shit-faced drunk and then finds out that there's some crazy shit going on in this house. He lives in this, like, apartment complex, which is, like, the greatest house I've ever seen in my life. And there's all these trap doors and secret passageways in and out of everyone's apartments. And it just gets really bizarre and i'm not sure i know exactly what happened and i don't think you're supposed to but there's a lot of like knives sliding over nipples there's a (laughs) guy getting chopped in half with an axe and then like crawling away there's people getting stabbed on top of the head getting stabbed in the back of the head and the knife blade comes out their mouth all sorts of crazy shit going on doppelgangers there's doppelgangers too of course. It's fucking doppelgangers. There's, you know, hats on the ceiling. All sorts of weird stuff going on. People inside of other people. Like you can see hands underneath people's flesh. It's all sorts yeah. of bizarre stuff going on in this movie. And, I can't wait to see this. <laughs> and it, it works, dude. I, it, just for me, it works. I, this is definitely one of those films that I can easily see being very, very decisive with people. You know, people are going to either hate this or love it. I don't think there's really going to be any middle ground. 
you I'll just probably love it. I just, mean, every every yeah. everything that you just you described as far as yeah. like the look and stuff. And oh my god, I am a hu- I am a huge fan of Giallo, Dude. and I do want to see this uh, a Murr now. Yeah, like, it's just the... it's like the two directors are like, okay, let's use every single thing from Giallo and just put it into one movie. Let's do it. Like, there's kind of scalopic visions. I mean, just it's don't go into it thinking that there's going to be a narrative or that you're going to understand it. Just go in with the idea that you're going to experience something. Right. And then you'll be okay. Just get ready. Trip- Did you see this? Was this a screener that this, you saw? This was a screener that I saw, yeah. Yeah, man, I'm going to have to get a hold of this. It's on uh, It's on Festival Scoop. Yeah. yeah. It's a, well, did, I, I asked for it and got oh, it. Oh, yeah, okay, so you had to request it. Yeah. Because I knew it was on there to request. Cool. I, yeah, I, I was just it. like, what the hell? I'll, I'll send one, see if I get lucky. Because I've been wanting to see it. Yeah, just, I didn't send it in for that one yet. But. I mean, the title alone. Come on. Sh- I know. Strange Color of Your Body's Tears? <laughs> I don't remember when we first heard about that movie. A long time ago. I think it played a couple festivals. I think it played uh, Locarno and TIFF. played a bunch of places. And I think I it was one of those, yeah. like, way back, like, the first festival it played, and I think there was a write-up and film comment. And ever since, and I think it was on the title alone that I was like, yes, must see this. It was, uh, for me, it was the title and that one still of the woman and she's got like that black liquid like all around her. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Cool. I'm, I'm definitely excited. Yeah. You're going to enjoy, you're going to enjoy yourself. Cool. All right. We're talking about X-Men Days of Future Past. This is directed by Brian Singer. Ernie, welcome back to the show. How you doing, sir? I am doing good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, The synopsis says, The X-Men send Wolverine to the past in a desperate effort to change history and prevent an event that results in doom for both humans and mutants. This stars Hugh Jackman, James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, Jennifer Lawrence, Halle Berry, Nicholas Holt, Anna Paquin, Ellen Page, Peter Dinklage, Sean Ashmore, Omar Sy, Evan Peters... Uh, Bing Bing fan, Josh Hellman, a ton of people in this movie. Yep. Now, yep. you have your review up on the site right now. Uh, so, so I'll start it off, and I will say, now I didn't actually read your review because I knew we were going to be talking about it on the show, but I did see the score, so I, I couldn't help but see your score when I was uh, publishing it. So I, right. um, I must admit that i agree with you i find that more often than not you and i are on the same page with these movies but Mm. once again i know that doesn't make for very uh entertaining listening when we're just when we're (laughs) we're both either gushing over a movie or hating on it but right uh i gotta say i was really really impressed with x-men days of future past and not only was it uh, a fun comic book movie. I felt that the way that the the writers and Brian Singer brought the X Men uh, franchise, the movie franchise, together in this movie mm-hmm. was right. so impressive. How they did it, yeah. It was yeah. like you know they kind of they kind of cherry picked things from the from the original ones, but then they left the most important things in and then they basically just kind of retconned every all the bullshit that happened in part three (laughs) 
and it right. but the way that they did it he did it in such a a smart way and it and yeah. it seemed to all fit and i know that like it's a it's pretty much an impossible task to get everything right and i think that there probably were some continuity issues here and there if mm. you go through you know and and kind of nitpick at everything but right overall i, I was just thoroughly impressed with how that how it all fit in and yep. that's in addition to the movie just being fucking awesome <laughs> i loved it that should be on the uh on the ads now fucking yeah. awesome <laughs> but um how familiar were you with the uh with the story of the comic storyline days of future past i was uh i was a little bit familiar with it doesn't something similar happen in the in the cartoon, the Fox cartoon series? Didn't they do a storyline that was similar to this one? I don't know if it was the Probably. exact one from the comics. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, I never really knew of, I mean, X-Men for me, the movies are about my only exposure to X-Men. I never really read the comics or watched the uh, animated series. I know I, there's been like three of them. Yeah. But um, I only knew of Days of Futures Past when I when they first announced it at Comic Con, I guess a couple years ago, and well, I just poked online to find, oh, what, what's that all about? Yeah, see, I never read the actual story arc in the comic books. Like I said, I'm pretty sure that the Fox show touched on this storyline a little bit, but I also know that uh, what it was in the comics, it was Kitty Pride that went back, right? Ellen Page's character and not yeah. Wolverine, right? Uh, but other than that, that's really all I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just knew from the the first, I guess it was last year's Comic-Con, um, when they showed the first footage of the first, which ended up being like ultimately the trailer. And it just looked amazing what they were going to be doing. And But as it got close to release, it start, I started having doubts in the oh, film. Yeah. I'm like, how are they going to pull this off? Yeah. And then they showed the, the first segment, the first scenes. Um the battle scene i was like confused i'm like who are they what, what's going on here what are they jumping through time uh but actually that was one of the mutant's powers is the ability to have people jump from one location to the other instantaneously but um i thought that was time the time jumping because i knew they're going through time i'm like i'm getting confused here what's going on here i didn't know what was going on but um but once once the film began you got into the story then you got an idea of what was happening and right. amazingly enough my my qualms about the movie are small. Whereas my main issue was that because there are at least seven or eight new mutants that appear <laughs> from anywhere from limited to huge capacity, but they don't tell you who they are. You get an idea of what their powers are, but like the only name of their, that I pull out of is Bishop. I know is Bishop is the guy who has the ability to absorb someone else's power and use it. Mm-hmm. But I like, I recognize the other ones, but I don't know their names. And, um, future past just jumps right in and basically says, okay, we're, we're going to assume you guys know what you need to know about the franchise and we're just going to go with it. So there there were certain things that they added in that if you were already an X-Men fanboy, that there were, there were a lot of little like kind of wink winks and nods, you know, like the, uh, the offhanded comment that, um, Quicksilver says when they're in the elevator, like my, Mm -hmm. my mom dated a guy because Quicksilver's actually Magneto's son, right? And uh, so there were like little, there were little things that were in there that were for kind of done as fan service, like uh, the fact mm. that Havoc was in there, right? And 
you know, they they made mention of him that he's a Summers. I can't remember his first name. Mm-hmm. But it's but, what Cyclops's brother? Is that Havoc? I I guess. I you're, think so. You're asking you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> either way, I mean either even if you're not familiar with all the X-Men characters and the storyline and all that stuff, it's that's neither here nor there. I mean, it's yeah, if, really if you've just, just... If you've only seen the first three and first class, then you're fine. It it pro- I think it alludes to uh, the spinoffs with Wolverine, but not too much. But, I'm, pretty um, it's, sure, it's, it's... I'm pretty sure that there was in there, there was like one kind of montage that happened real fast uh, near the end of the movie where they... I'm pretty sure they show scenes from a couple of the Wolverine... I don't know if it was just one of the Wolverine spinoffs or maybe they had little clips from both, but mm-hmm. I think that they're in there. I mean, yeah. they certainly show the the whole Weapon X thing. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the end of X3 and the yeah. Wolverine yeah. killing Gene. So yep. it, was, uh, it was crazy stuff. But what I loved about it, because I didn't know much about the storyline, I really didn't know where this movie was going to go. Well, that's and yeah, so, yeah. That's... And as as it's progressing, and as uh, for anybody who doesn't know, there's there's the future storyline, and then there's the past storyline, and there's moments in the film where everything falls concurrently. And so as as the shit's going down in the future, you're like, "Where's what's going to happen? Is this really going to be the future? Something's got to change." But I was like, "What's going to change this?" And you yeah. really don't know what's going to happen until everything comes together. In, in the third act, I'm like, oh, that, that kept me guessing all the way. Yep. And, and I thought that it was a really interesting way to kind of consolidate this X-Men franchise, the movie franchise, mm. by incorporating the, the storyline with the time travel. And he doesn't really, he doesn't like, it, it's not that his body travels through time. It's just that his consciousness kind of goes through t- into his old self so it's not like you're dealing with time paradoxes where there's two wolverines roaming around they Mm -hmm. it it doesn't work like that so they kind of keep things pretty concise which is one of the most impressive things about this movie is that like you said there's there's two storylines happening concurrently and then on top of that you have uh cast members from the X-Men first class and you have cast members from the original trilogy. And then you have brand new cast members mm-hmm. and you think that this is going to be a mess. Like that was what I was yeah. worried about when I saw the number of characters in this movie, I was like, how are they going to, how are they going to do this without everything feeling rushed and kind of just cheap? But mm-hmm. somehow Brian Singer just, pulled this out of his ass and just made it all <laughs> kind of work. And I thought that the the action scenes were awesome. That opening scene with Blink when they show her. Yeah. And yeah. she's not even a character that I even cared about one iota in the comic books. And mm. she's like a badass. It was like uh it was like they made a Portal movie, the game Portal. Right. It was like they made a movie out of that. It was just, it was so cool how she did uh, th- how she incorporated her powers in that. That whole fight scene was awesome. And then I think that everybody will probably agree that it, the best 
at least the most fun scene was the Quicksilver scene when they were busting out Magneto. That was yeah. incredible. Like I wanted the whole time I was thinking to myself, man, I bet DC are they're just kicking themselves in the ass right now for not doing this with a Flash movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, it, was, uh, it was just really cool. I mean, I, out here in LA, uh, they have Carl's Jr. ads. I saw uh, for, yeah, I saw for X Men and with the with Quicksilver. I know, like before seeing the movie, like uh, all this cross promotion stuff looks like dumb. Yeah, it looks lame. Like, yeah, it's like yeah, this is gonna this is gonna Quicksilver is probably gonna suck in this one, but no, it turns out he was like one of, if not the best thing in the movie. Yeah, he was he was awesome. I, like I couldn't believe it because I'm not even a big fan of Quicksilver in the comic books. I think he's kind of lame. Like he just feels kind of like a a, a low rent Flash because he's not as fast as Flash and he just doesn't seem as cool. But in the movie, they made him uh, way more powerful than in the comics, and right, he's just it was cool. And he's got attitude to boot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I liked, uh, and that was the other thing. Like I really wanted this movie to take place. Uh, in the seventies for the majority and it did. And so I was really mm-hmm. thankful for that because I wanted to see, I like the design of the old style Sentinels more than the new style where they're, they can like morph yeah. and, and do whatever. Um, right. So I like the old look and I just like the fact that th- that was one of my favorite things about first class was the fact that it took place in the sixties and it had that whole kind of sixties style to it. And the fact that they did that again with this one just in the 70s, I liked that a lot. And I thought that, you know, uh, for the fact that Wolverine was sort of the main character, you know, he was the link between these two timelines. And, you know, he was sort of the central character. I thought that right. it was interesting how he shared the screen time with a lot of the other characters. Like, I wouldn't say that he was... right. He took the spotlight or anything, you know. Oh, but other... uh, it's it's very different from any Wolverine we've seen before because he's not the the rage machine mm-hmm. that that we we want to see. We want to see Wolverine just rage on somebody, but he's got to keep it together to keep everybody else together. So he's like the, he's like almost the calming force, right? For yep. uh, for the uh, for the X Men of the past. And if and... you think and if you think about it, this is it's interesting because this is. Uh, this is like after he's been with the X-Men for a long time, because we have to remember that this is his personality from the future. So it's like, he's been with the X-Men for a long time. And and by this point, you know, the influence of Xavier on him has calmed him and made him a different person. Mm. And I think that that's kind of an interesting thing. Plus the fact that in this, because it takes place in the seventies, he doesn't have his adamantium skeleton so he's rocking the bone claws through the whole movie which i think future wolverine kind of enjoyed (laughs) (laughs) yeah which i think was uh it was interesting because not only did it did that idea lend itself to the the actual continuity of the wolverine story but also it was an excuse for them to make it so that uh magneto didn't have like complete control over him Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i mean again like uh james mcavoy michael fassbender played the young versions of professor x and and magneto and they were great i thought that james mcavoy uh they they 
he really had uh, a lot to work with because they basically made him a heroin. Right. <laughs> they basically made him a heroin <laughs> addict in this. Yeah, pretty much. But I thought but it was a, the, but it was they, a mutagen. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was a mutagen. <laughs> people, people in my because when they show that they show him like pre- preparing the needle and getting ready to shoot up before they talk about what it is and everybody in my audience was like started to laugh like well they made him a heroin addict well i guess mind over matter well i think that that's that's another thing to mention is that this is a uh probably the darkest of all the x-men movies i mean just like that opening scene when they show like the piles and piles of dead bodies and Mm. i think that uh, it was definitely darker than what we've seen previously uh one of the other things i loved about is when you're dealing with time travel movies there's always the opportunity for something to slip up that will just throw it all off and it's almost like the entire the film and franchise continuity time wise seems to be airtight i mean it's like you're looking watching and it's like oh wow that makes sense oh that makes sense oh i know what that part is i know when that was it's like oh i see what they did there and you're like you're like thinking back, it's like, and when like all when you get to the the last five minutes, you're like, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was really impressed with how they tied everything together like that. Because you thought that after the third X Men movie, that the, that everything was just fucked. Like mm-hmm. nothing was gonna work out. Like everything was just so messed up in this series that they just need to yeah. they just need to reboot it. They just need to start over and with. Uh, x-men first class it seemed like they were going in that direction because first class threw away a lot of the stuff from the other one but like kept other things in and it just Mm -hmm. ended up making everything feeling it felt more confusing because of that Mm -hmm. and you're just like okay what what are they keeping what are they throwing out but with this movie it was it was crazy because it fixed everything you know it's just like it was like okay one and two are good three we're gonna just kind of throw all that stuff out start mm-hmm. over i mean it was yeah. basically like brian singer saying fuck you to brett ratner <laughs> like, <laughs> it's kind of funny i've been that's exactly how it's been described <laughs> from a lot of people i've heard of and read online that basically is like uh singers flipping uh ratner off <laughs> it's like what did you do to my franchise <laughs> yeah that, i mean it was, it's so funny too because you look at x-men 3 and it, that that movie has a shitload of mutants in it. It's got tons, and n- nothing worked in that mm. movie. Like, and the funny thing was, they had mutants in that movie that didn't even exist in the comic books. And it's like, right. why would you? Why would you do that? <laughs> it's like making. Yeah, uh, it's like Transformers and the Transformers movies where you you're making them up that aren't even, or, or GI Joe yeah, rather. Yeah. Yeah, well, not to beat a dead horse, but again, in hindsight, X3 suffers from what Amazing Spider-Man 2 and possibly uh, Batman vs. Superman is going to suffer from was too much and too many characters tried to be squashed into one movie. Yeah, Instead of focusing on one particular, that should have just been a strictly Dark Phoenix storyline. And then they threw in all this other stuff that could have been saved for another movie. And, and that's really so, the, that's really a big shame is that that was the Dark Phoenix saga, and that was such an iconic series in X Men that 
you know, that it's completely ruined now because of that. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's such a shame. But um, but yeah, and it's it, and this one basically serves as a, as X four and as First Class Part two. So that's kind of a rarity where they sequelize to the same franchise in two different sections in one movie, and it all works. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, uh, and it's all tied together now. So, you know, none of this crazy trying to figure out, you know, which continuity is the right one and all that stuff. I mean, this in this one mm-hmm. movie, he streamlined everything. Yeah, it's almost like a retro Fast and Furious and... Um, and I mentioned it in my review. It's almost like this is the Avengers of the X-Men where all the other films were leading to this, but and obviously all of the other films weren't leading to this. <laughs> this one just came out of came out of nowhere several years ago saying we're doing Days of Future Past. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean it's crazy. And and of course they already have the next one lined up, X-Men Apocalypse. I don't know if uh I don't know if we should talk about the the, the uh, post credit stinger at the end. I don't think it's really even a spoiler, though. So we can probably just say that it shows Apocalypse as yeah, a young man. Yeah, yeah. And I guess you could say in the beginning. Yeah. So so, so we know that we're, we're gearing up for that in, in the next one, which I think we already knew anyway, just because of the title, <laughs> X-Men Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was, it was already, it was, yeah, it was announced several, like, months ago or sometime last year yeah yeah Yeah. but it's coming out in 2016 i believe so we have that and then and i think i think apocalypse deals with first class so that's like it's going to be the first class cast Hmm. but whether or not that's whether or not that well the storyline for what i understand is apocalypse deal it takes place in the 70s okay but I don't know if that's a construct from the comic or that's just where they want to put it. But um, I guess we'll so, find out. I yeah, think I guess. It, it could be one of those deals where the the popularity of this one and because they mm-hmm. were also talking about doing uh, like an X Force spinoff or or maybe it was X Factor one of the one of those two they were talking about mm-hmm. doing a spinoff and then of course uh, Deadpool mm. could be getting his own spinoff. And uh, also, they announced that Channing Tatum will be Gambit, so we don't know if he's going to get his but own in, movie or. But in but in what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we don't know if he's going to be in Apocalypse or if he's going to be have his own movie. Mm. Maybe he'll have his own movie first, then be in Apocalypse. I don't know. Right. So what's what's next? Is uh, are they doing? They're going to do another Wolverine, right? Because they're. They're talking about it, but I think that's after Apocalypse. Because I know um, that Hugh Jackman said that he was winding yeah. down, but he also yeah, said that's that the he, other wa- thing he does. He also said before he retires, he wants to see, or before he retires the character, he wants to see uh, Wolverine be in the Avengers. Yeah, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll do that for his last one. <laughs> um, it's probably it's probably better that they leave them separate because. I would think, yeah, that, without, that, without without giving events away, the events that go down. Well, actually, the Avengers didn't exist in the seventies, so I guess that's kind of a moot point. But the events that go down in X and uh, Days of Future Past is basically one where you definitely want to have to scream, "Avengers assemble!" <laughs> so, yeah. Oh yeah. 
Oh yeah. So, but but that was forty years before they even existed. So I guess there's nothing to worry about there. <laughs> there are, there are no Avengers. So, but we know time travel exists. So you never know. <laughs> I will say that uh, uh, a lot of these mutants got fucked up in this movie. Yeah. I don't know if you want to I mean, say like spoilers or no. I'm not going to say. I'm not going to get into specifics. But a lot yeah, but of them get murdered. Very basically, violently. basically, it's it's like Transformers the movie, the animated movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah like in the first five minutes, all the all the trans Autobots that you just love in the door are just murdered by Megatron. Yeah, but that's... and you're like, no, no, no. It's like. And that's that's the thing. Like, it's not a huge, uh, it's not a big spoiler or anything because we're not saying who did it, but we're also uh, you need to realize that they can go back in time, so they can yeah. kind of fix everything that happens. Uh, basically, the uh, the Sentinels. Um, again, I barely knew what the Sentinels were. I thought they were just giant robots. But as as they are in the movie, whether or not they're the same as a comic book, I don't know. But in the movie, they have the ability to adapt to every mutant and can exploit their weakness. So that's another thing that was resting in my mind is like, how the hell are they going to beat these things? Right. Yeah. They, I mean, they were like just um, they were unstoppable. Like it's I, like they I, give they give you hope. And like, yeah, yeah. Give me a few more shots. Give me a few more shots. OK, you're done. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty crazy. But all, all the the future fight scenes I thought were really cool. And I mean, like those those characters that they had, like Warpath and and even Bishop, I mean, those are kind of like second tier characters. But they mm. I thought that they re- it was like really impressive to see them. And I thought that seeing Iceman uh, fight, this was definitely yeah. the best portrayal of Iceman I've seen. Like mm. it was as close to the comic books as it could have been. All right. So I was I was glad to see that. Yeah, pretty much every X Men that you've seen, like just about unleashes their power to capacity in this one. Yeah, that was that <laughs> was the thing that I liked the most is yeah. that it wasn't like it wasn't like bullshit uh, uses of their powers. I mean, it was like you saw yeah. them really, really utilizing their powers, and it, it was. The action scenes in this movie were were probably the best I've seen in any of the X Men movies. Mm-hmm. I loved it, and but the, the thing was, it wasn't wall to wall action either. Like it was, there was a lot of just like conversations happening and and things like that. Yeah. It wasn't just straight up nonstop action, which I was thankful for. Yeah, well, when you got a pedigree with this cast of God knows how many Academy winners nominees. <laughs> are there in this oh, yeah. movie it's and ridiculous. you're like and every and there's like a, all the the dialogue scenes that some people probably hate are just like you're just glued to the screen because there's just like take any moment between that goes down between mcavoy and fastbender or or between mcavoy and jackman and and it's like you're just sitting there just listening to what's going on or even moments between Ian mckellen and patrick stewart in the future you're like there's like really like great moments here yeah yeah, I was I was just so into it the whole time, and I, I'm really struggling. Like as we were talking about this, I've been trying to come up with uh, things to to criticize, things I didn't like, but I'm really having a hard time. I'm really really mm-hmm. having a difficult time with this. Like I guess maybe if I had one issue, I just wanted more. I just wanted more yeah. of everything. I wanted yeah. more Quicksilver. Uh, just more of everybody. 
I guess my only issue with the film was um, I mentioned it earlier that you never really get to know who's who of all these new mutants that just appear. Uh, they never really address how Xavier is Xavier again. Because <laughs> yeah. if you remember, if you remember the end of all, well, okay, by now everybody must have seen X three. Yeah, he basically is atomized by Jean Grey. And uh, just like, yeah, that's it. And then the, the stinger at the end of X3 was um, he sends his consciousness to another body, which is like, okay, so he's still out there, but they don't explain how he got his consciousness into a body that looks exactly like Charles Xavier. <laughs> <laughs> like, did he, was he clouding himself somewhere? Did he have a twin? Yeah, it's I don't like, know. Maybe and there's it... a delete, deleted scene that addresses that, but that, like, that's always something that's like always lingering. It's like, how do they explain how he's back? <laughs> well, they, they quickly mention it in uh, the stinger and the Wolverine too, when he shows up at the no, airport. Well, they, he shows up there, but then he says that it's like, not, not everyone, or I can't remember what is exact, what exactly he said is like, not everyone has, is yeah. strong or something like that. I think that that stinger was supposed to be, the thing that explains him coming back, even though it yeah. didn't, he didn't explain anything. Yeah, it didn't explain anything. It's just like Wolverine is like as baffled as the audience. Like how? <laughs> there, but, um, yeah, I mean, with I mean, even if it, even if it just said just like yeah, there was a clone and we just dropped his conscience in there. Like okay, cool, I can deal with that. But this one is like, I need something to explain how <laughs> this all came together. How yeah, is he the, there? The thing about the series is because there's so many characters and because there's, I mean, this is a, this is a series that takes place over decades and there, there are just certain things that aren't going to work. Like, I think that this movie does the best it can to get everything tied together, Mm. but I'm sure that if you really go through with a fine tooth comb, you would be able to pick apart this whole series and be like, okay, well that doesn't really work. Like in X3, when, they show uh, um, Pro- Professor Xavier and uh, and Magneto as as young people, and it was still Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen, and it's just the mm. timeline doesn't work. And right. there, there's just lots and lots of little things that I'm sure you could pick apart with any kind of complicated story like this, but mm-hmm. I think they still did a really good job uh, certainly did the best they could with it. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, what it just boils down to is that this is a really entertaining story with a lot of really strong, interesting characters. And they don't just throw these people in just to have them. At least I didn't feel that way. It felt like everybody in this movie had their purpose. Even, even though like, you know, storm, uh, Halle Berry is storm. I, she didn't really seem to serve a purpose, but does she ever, you know, she's, yeah. she's storm, <laughs> but yeah. I thought that, uh, everybody had their little moment, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. that was really impressive to me. Uh, speaking of movie. little and impressive, <laughs> you can't fail to mention, uh, Peter Dinklage. As, oh yeah. Uh, he was, Trask. Oh, he's so great. Uh, I mean, he was awesome as Trask. Mm-hmm. I was just, I was glad to see him in it and uh, with his mustache, <laughs> his glasses. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, so he was he was actually really good, and uh, I liked how his character was vague. It's like is he just flat out evil? 
misguided. Right. Cause <laughs> right. With, or, that, with that character, you just never know. You, you really never know what's going on with that dude. So, and, it, and even in the end, you're still not sure, but still, it was a really good. Any other thoughts? What, what did you think of Jennifer Lawrence's performance as Mystique? Um, well, this is only her second time around, but probably the most, uh, the most meat that they were given her to, uh, chew on. And she was really good. Uh, um, I think they changed the story arc a little from the comic. I can't remember if Mystique was actually the one behind everything, but um, but regardless, I thought she she was quite good as uh, to portraying all levels of Raven's damaged um, psyche. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think it, I think it was funny though because they were they kept telling her like she at this point she used to follow xavier mm-hmm. around and then she ends up following eric uh magneto around and they're both telling her like you can't do this mm-hmm. <laughs> do not do this and, and she stills like well i gotta do it i gotta do it yeah and it's like you would think that she would be like oh okay so you're telling me that if i do this the entire world is going to end right that she might be like okay i won't do it you know, yeah, maybe I she maybe she that... could she could have gone all snake pliskin and just like saying, screw it. <laughs> she was just so she was just so stubborn, it seemed. But I know that that's just how that character is. Mm. And, and another thing with uh, Magneto and the way it was played by McKellen and Fassbender, McKellen's character, the age wise Magneto, who's been there and seen it all. And you would think the the young Magneto, Fastbender's Magneto would know what needed to be done. And then just like he's doing what he needs to do, but going about it in the wrong way. And then he really goes too far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say he goes too far. That, you see that? You see part of that in, in the trailer. Yeah. But yeah, and then you're like thinking, it's like, okay, so now is, is Magneto the actual villain or is it still Trask? It's like, yeah, so. that's, that's the cool thing about that character. Is he he just he turns on a dime, you know? Yeah. Like you, he's on your side one second, the next second. But it, but it's funny because when you look at Magneto's motivations, uh, which is something that they didn't do in X three, that they completely fucked up that whole storyline with Magneto, mm-hmm. is that he's his viewpoint is justifiable. Like you can you can look at th- when you look at his motivations and his actions you're like okay i can see where he's coming from yeah like i can understand i can i can kind of empathize with the decisions that he's making like i might not agree with it but at least i can see where he's coming from and that was kind of how it was in this movie Mm -hmm. like from the very beginning when he attempted to kill mystique uh you understood why like he didn't want to but he thought that that's what he had to do Mm -hmm. so that that was what what they did with him, I really liked. And, of course, I like the fact that they were able to uh, get Ian McKellen to do some kind of badass stuff in the future, too. Yeah. I didn't think that they were going to give him any kind of, like, action scenes, but they did. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was pretty surprised. Good. Uh, Rogue was in there, Anna Paquin, <laughs> for, for, like, two seconds. I know that people, because they, I guess she had a, an action scene that got cut. Yeah. And then at the very last second, they said, "Well, she's going to be in it." Yeah. And yeah, she's in it for about a second. So don't. <laughs> so fans of uh, Rogue, don't get your hopes up. Yeah, don't don't blink. 
Yeah. But, you know, like, I thought that what they did with the character of Rogue in the in the movies wasn't it wasn't that cool anyway, because in the comic books and in, in the cartoon, she can fly and she has super strength. Hmm. And in the uh, in the movies, all they gave her was the uh, the, the touching, the no yeah. touching thing, which kind of sucks because the flying and the super strength are the cool parts of her power, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know that that's how she gets the flight and the super strength from from her other power with the touching. But all right. So should we uh, talk about the end or should we? <laughs> Uh yeah, let's do let's just do a real brief spoiler. So we'll put this in the uh we'll put the time code in the show notes. So if you haven't seen X Men yet, you want to just skip over this part. Uh, all right, let's uh let's go ahead and talk about the end. What'd you think of it? Um, the end is what pushed me over, and I just like said this is like great. There's a there was a moment in there. So I can't remember when I was thinking is like, what if. He, when he goes back, he's actually sent into only like 30, 20, 30 years into the future, right around the time of X2 and everybody's still alive. And I was like, and then I put that in the back of my head. I like forgot about it. And then when he woke up um, after everything was over and he woke up and then he discovers he's in the mansion uh, back at uh, back at Charles's uh, school for the gifted whatever it is. Gifted youngsters. Gifted youngsters. Then he starts walking around. And he starts seeing everybody. I, I initially thought that it's like okay, everything's fine, like events happen, but then you end up seeing like characters like Rogue appears, and then you see Beast appears, cameo by uh, Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, and, love that. And then I was like, oh, that was unexpected. And then I was like, um, everything seems normal. Then I'm thinking, what if? And then there's Jean Grey, <laughs> and like yeah. I'm like. Well, well, they are going to go in that room. Like, when does this take place? What happened? Or is all those events like now gone? And, like something happened. Then when he is about to touch Gene, out of the blue comes Scott. <laughs> Cyclops yep. is alive. X three never happened. <laughs> and it's like X two. The events of X two haven't happened yet because she's still here. I'm like, and then and then he's talking to uh, Charles and a element in the movie where. They said that basically Wolverine is going to be the only one who's going to know about all the timelines because like going back, everything else is going to change right. for everyone else and only he'll know. But what I loved about it, the fact is that because this is the alternate alternate timeline that was created after the after Trask was stopped. And this includes the fact that now Professor X knows about the future because his young self went to the future. Yeah, exactly. And talk to his future self. And talk to his future self. <laughs> and so he came back. Now he knows, and he had to wait for Logan to finally to catch up and figure things out before he can really let him in onto what's gone down. So it was like, yeah, it's crazy. So I loved how all of that and the entire series got connected in those last five minutes. Because you were like thinking, like, is this like a total reboot that's just going to jettison? It's like, and then you're seeing the flashbacks throughout the movie. You're like, no. Oh, that was X3. I guess X3 happened. And you're like, ah, oh, bummer. And then it's like, oh, that was Wolverine. I'm like, okay. It's, and then it just comes in and just says, it's gone. It's like, it's like, it's like basically like Ryan Singer went in, did uh, Superman Returns and said, Superman 3 and 4 never happened, which I'm fine yeah. with. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. I thought X2 was still the second best X Men. It's like, events in 2 and 3 did not happen yet. 
or will yeah, happen. So. Well, maybe they'll happen. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Everything everything is different now. Yeah. Like so, the everything is basically starting from scratch. Yeah, because... but this it, this could also serve as a perfect swan song because outside of you, Jackman, how many of these guys are actually going to be willing to come back to do another one? I mean, they've, I, they've I committed, they've committed mean, 15 years of their life. Well, most of them committed 15 years of their lives to this franchise. And Jackman's right. done and, seven movies. <laughs> right. So and, I mean, and like we said, they we already know that there's a new one yeah. coming. And we so. know the new one <clears throat> will be with uh, the first class cast. So it's like if the original class, this is it for them. It's like a, they got, it's perfect. I feel like, yeah, I feel like they have to add in some of those other people i mean they'll like they'll definitely add in quicksilver for sure Mm -hmm. like he's got to be in the first in the first class group but if you think about it everybody from the first class group died (laughs) like oh yeah like yeah they're all they're all dead (laughs) so yeah i I do not remember any of the characters in first class like uh it was definitely beast and then there was uh the girl that had the wings the fairy wings Mm. uh and the one dude that played Banshee, but they're all dead. So yeah. the whole, the whole, everybody in first class. Yeah, most of them, most of them die between first class and Days of Futures Past, and you don't even see it. You only find out about him in a report. And um, oh, I guess another great uh, spoiler that I loved about it is the fact that we discovered officially that JFK was a mutant. <laughs> oh yeah, that was that was kind of interesting how they thought that. He was in uh, Magneto was in jail because he was accused of assassinating the president, but it turned out that he was actually trying to prevent it. Yeah, because JFK was a mutant. And then I guess now we can put to rest after all these years that the comedian did not kill JFK. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and that's 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 the uh, DC universe. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess it depends on which where your allegiance right. is right. with that. Well, we got the magic bullets. <laughs> I'm wondering why uh, Emma Frost wasn't in in this one. She didn't die. In I first think she class, was. I think she, no, but I think she was one of the dead. In the they sh- uh, they, well, I know that they. Uh, that was the the one thing um, when the Sentinels were doing their thing mm-hmm. and mimicking the abilities. Yeah. the one turned itself into Crystal, which had to be uh, a callback hmm. to her. Yeah, because I, sure. I think she was one of the names that appeared in the files that uh, Mystique was going through to find out what happened to everybody. Yeah, one of the ones that was taken uh, for research. See, that's yeah. that's so cool. Like, I mean, just like how they kind of covered all the bases in this, and I'm sure that there are certain things that you know we're not thinking of that they missed or whatever. Mm. The diehard fans will. I mean, will when see, you when you go see uh, uh, Magneto goes back into whatever building he went to to get his helmet back, they actually have uh, like the wings, the wings, the fairy... uh, the, the wings, the the bullet that he used to kill uh, uh, Kevin Bacon's character. Mm-hmm. Remember who it was? Sebastian Shaw. Yeah, Shaw. So he used to uh, kill Shaw, and I'm like, oh yeah, I was like, I'm looking, I was like, oh, that was so and so, that was so and so. Oh look, the bullet. <laughs> Yeah, that, I, I liked all that stuff. I thought that was that was all very very cool. And any other spoilers? Be, see, the the thing is, like, we can say certain things that that were spoilers, but most of it doesn't stick. You know, most of it gets rebooted at the end anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like Magneto dies. 
but he oh, doesn't yeah. really. Yeah, before before everything gets rebooted, everybody dies. <laughs> <laughs> they all and and that was and die, that was the and one die thing in horrifying ways. Like, yeah, that was that was the one Col- thing I wanted to talk about. Colossus they cut gets ripped in half. <laughs> yeah, Colossus gets ripped in half. Uh, Iceman gets his head cut off. <laughs> uh, Bl- Blink gets a giant freaking. Uh, like arm sword thing shoved through a chest. Bishop is, is Bishop crazy. is over is intentionally overloaded and up. explodes. He explodes. <laughs> yeah. Bishop explodes. Um Storm gets uh impaled. Uh yeah. Like, I mean they all come to very violent ends. I mean in the beginning you see like X Men dying, but that's before they tinker with the timeline. But like, That's but like, I'm, um, like yeah. uh, Bobby gets his head ripped off and squashed. <laughs> yeah. So. And I'm wondering. So, uh, this this is a spoiler. So, when Wolverine is he he goes to the bottom of that lake or whatever, and then he gets rescued, and it's revealed that you first think that it's Stryker. So I guess your first intention is, oh, they're going to do the Weapon X thing. Mm. But it's revealed that it's actually Mystique. Uh, do you know if that's supposed to be anything other than showing us a red herring that, you know, we were supposed to think that it was Stryker, but it turns out it was Mystique? Or do, is that I don't know. It could, alluding to something bigger? There could be other other things at play there because basically it's like saying, it's like, oh, it's Mystique. She's going to take him off and he won't go through Weapon X. Or now, as a saying in this timeline, it's actually Mystique is the one who puts him into the program, or mm. or um or like because this is like still that. like years. This is still years before the Weapon X program. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't even gotten into the program yet. So now you're like thinking, is Mystique the one who sent him in, or is she actually going to save him from it? I guess we yeah, won't, know. won't know until the next one, if there is a next one. Yeah. Maybe they'll, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to do it. I'll, I'll be very interested. And this uh, uh, this killed this killed at the box office yeah. this weekend, too. So I would also go so far as to say that this one should be the template that all, even the Avengers, all other franchises that are trying to do, like, condense one massive movie uh, one massive story into one movie with multiple characters and multiple story arcs into one. This one just like everything is done right in this one. It's it's where, so weird. Which like and uh, and, uh, I I, and that, weird because it's like this really shouldn't have turned out as well as it did. <laughs> right. That's that's what I'm saying. And I think that we can go ahead and and um, get out of spoilers now. If uh, unless you have any other spoiler stuff to add. Uh, nope. So. That's the thing, like, it's so weird to think about because it, it all just, it somehow all fits into place. And I know I've repeated myself several times saying that, but it, it just kind of astounds me that this movie works the way that it does. And I remember I said this exact same thing for the Avengers, too. I was like, well, I didn't think it was going to work, but it, sure enough, mm-hmm. it worked. And that's exactly how it is with this movie. Like, it's just... It's so much fun and it's so well written and just put mm. together so nicely. I was I was really really impressed with Isn't it. Isn't it kind of funny to say that it's so well done, so well written and it's written by the guy who wrote the last stand. <laughs> yeah, which is 
like, which which kind of further shows that uh, kind of further shows that I think the director of Last Stand is the one to blame for all that yep. messiness. Mm-hmm. Could be. I'll never forgive them. Well, you know, I think I think X Men Origins Wolverine is well, maybe worse than Last Stand. Mm. Maybe. Probably. But I remember because I saw X Men Origins Wolverine not too long ago. I rewatched it, and you know that movie's not that bad until like towards when you get towards the end. That's when it gets ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's not that bad, at least for the like first two acts. I barely remember it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole Deadpool thing was just a complete travesty, and that <laughs> should not have happened at all. <laughs> but fortunately, the new Wolverine movie was much better. And this, so, I mean, you gave it a nine and a half. I'm, I gave it a four and a half out of five on Letterboxd. So Mm -hmm. I'm sitting at like a nine right now. Mm -hmm. I would say that this is probably one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen. Right. Uh, I I can't wait to see it again. Yes. This is one that I can just come back to and I can't wait until they come out with the blu-ray so we get to see all kinds of like deleted scenes and stuff because i think that there's a bunch of stuff that they had to cut mm-hmm. out of it mm-hmm. which is another thing like wow you know everything everything feels so tight in this movie and it's like what did they leave out you know yeah what, what were the things that they left out that expand the story even more yeah and it only runs like two hours and ten minutes and yeah. as big as a movie it is you would think that would be longer than that I but. thought, yeah, I thought that this would be like two and a half hours easy, but they, they somehow work it in. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy. Yep. So I highly recommend seeing X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? I saw it in 2D. Um, oh, and now, oh, now yeah. when I go see it, when I see it again, I will see it in 3D because the, there were a lot of scenes in there that I thought would look really cool in 3D. So. I did. I did see it in 3D, uh, just because I went to one of those early showings on Thursday, mm-hmm. and the the line for the 2D one was like wrapped around the building. So mm-hmm. I went for the 3D, and it was it was fine. You know, it was like I'm kind of done with 3D at this point. Mm-hmm. Like it all kind of feels the same. Like after the first two minutes, I don't even. I can't even tell it's in 3D. So, you know, it's decent, I guess, for post-converted 3D. Right. Well, there you have it. X-Men Days of Future Past. Definitely. Absolutely. Go see this if you haven't already. I'm sure that most of you have. Ernie, thanks so much for coming on the show. No problem. All right, let's go over last week's predictions. X-Men Days of Future Past. You said 72. I said 76. Actual 91. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, way off on that one, <laughs> which I'm I'm so glad. Like I'm I'm really really happy that it got that that high of a score. Nice, and it's and it's killing it at the box office too. So yeah, it is. Very very pleased to to see that because it is really good. Um, blended. You said zero. I said ten. Actual fifteen. Damn it. <laughs> uh, next week we have Maleficent. That's how you have to say it. <laughs> Uh boy. What are you thinking I, on this one? I have no idea. This one befuddles me. I mean, I'm not interested in it at all. 
I don't even know how to like spell it. There we go. Yeah, I'm gonna I, say like a like a sixty-two. I think it's gonna, I think it's be, gonna be. I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna predict a seventy-three. I'm gonna go on the high end and and see if it'll if it'll be lauded by critics. I doubt mm. it though. And we also have a million ways to die in the West. I'm gonna say I'm really hoping that this one turns out good. But I feel like for some reason Seth MacFarlane can be kind of a polarizing uh, oh, yeah. writer director. And this one looks a lot. Yeah, this looks like, like it's, it's. There's going to be a lot of people that just hate it just because. But it looks like it's just going to be him doing stupid shit the entire runtime. You know, things are going to hit and be funny, and things are going to miss terribly. Right. Yep. Even though everything in the trailer for me, most things, I think almost everything in the trailer for me landed quite funny so i'll say like i'll say like 78 on that one mm, i'm gonna I'll, go 74 i'll be happy if it gets a 78 that, that would be fun be fun i'm excited for it either way i think it'll be a good time yeah oh yeah certainly be worth some laughs in limited release next week we have filth uh we'll have a review for that up very soon uh night moves which mm-hmm. um i'm very interested in that one I do want to see that. Uh, we are the best, which we have a review up for that now. Oh, I'm gonna check. I'm gonna well. check that out this week. I think it looks good. Uh, Age of Uprising. That's with Mads Mikkelsen, but I don't really know too much oh, about did, it. That did not get good reviews. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's yeah. supposed to be very good. It's like a. Is it a Viking thing? Is it a Viking tale? I know it takes place like back in the in the olden days. Back in the olden days, 16th, 16th century France. Ah, okay. Yay. That sounds much more boring than Vikings. Uh, the Grand Seduction and Delivery, The Beast Within, which I found out we have a review for that up on the site, and I didn't even know it. Really? Yeah, Ernie reviewed that like <laughs> like a year, more than a year ago at uh, one of the festivals. Wow. Yeah, kind of odd so did we play a part in this getting released i hope not i don't know i don't he's he liked it i didn't even look go back and look at the review yet mm. i don't know maybe it's maybe it's worth checking out uh next week on video on demand and yes we are bringing back the video on demand segment we have a calendar up on the site now so be sure to check that out if you want up to the minute listings for the uh video on demand stuff that might be right i'm pretty sure (laughs) to the best of my knowledge and if there are any that we missed be sure to email us uh on the calendar there's a little link and just send us an email with the movie and the date that it's coming out and we'll be sure to add that to the list uh so next week on video on demand we have delivery the beast within gore vidal united states of amnesia and lucky them Hmm. Yeah, not nothing really. Uh, no, nothing, <laughs> nothing really worth look, looking into next no. week. Uh, DVD and Blu-ray releases. We have Twenty Four Exposures, which is the. Uh, you're you you're a big fan of that one, right? No, I didn't. No, <laughs> no, I was not. That was the Simon Barrett. Was Adam Weingard involved in that? Yeah, it wasn't he was, he, he was, he was like in one it. of the act. Yeah, he was in it. I didn't know. But I, it's just Swanberg and Barrett, I think. Yeah, Swanberg, 
directed it and Barrett wrote it, I guess. And Weingart's in it, so that is... And Simon Simon Barrett's in it as well. He plays the detective. Uh, I did not like this movie whatsoever. A lot of people did like it, though. So, you know, you use your own judgment. I, I'd say if you like those three guys, maybe you'll like <laughs> even, this one. Even then. Uh, to, to me, and I, and I said this when I talked about it initially, I felt like it was a step back for them. Mm, yeah. I feel like they're beyond this this kind of filmmaking at this point. But... You know, whatever. They should be at least. Yeah, and I mean, plus like the uh, the trailer for Happy Christmas came out this week, which looks like it's a lot of fun and it looks like a really accessible Joe Swanberg movie. So pretty excited for that. But uh, also on DVD and Blu-ray, we have Cheap Thrills, which I do recommend. Enjoyed that very much. Very dark and twisted and funny. Uh, Endless Love. Don't know too much about that one. Uh, no, that sounds. I feel like that one just came out, like that sounds really in theaters boring. very recently. Just sounds boring. Yeah, it did. Yeah, God, I remember this movie now. <laughs> that was like one of the worst trailers of the year. I don't think I've. I didn't see the trailer for that. Don't episode. don't do it. Uh, I won't. Don't do it. I won't. We never talked about this movie. Journey to the West, which is the new Stephen Chow movie. I do recommend checking that out. Uh, Patrick, which is the remake. I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of this one, but the the unnecessary remake. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan of the original one either. It's, uh, you know, it's like a meh. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty average horror movie. I would say it's very similar to Carrie, but it's just a dude in a coma. And finally, Independence Disaster. I just had to mention that one. I gotta look that up. Independence Disaster. I'm not uh, sure if that's like an asylum uh, one or what. It's a sci-fi. It's got, it's got sci-fi on there. Yeah, so maybe it is an asylum because I know that they're mm. they partner up. So, all right. Any criterions? There's one criterion, and that's the Life Aquatic. Yeah, I saw that. Coming out on the old Blu-ray. Very excited. Very excited for that. How how can you not be? All right. Well, I think that that wraps it up for the latest film news and reviews. This is at filmpulse.net. Send us your questions to podcastfilmpulse.net. We'll be sure to answer them on the show. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And Jaguar Shark. Jaguar Shark. (laughs) Jaguar Shark. (laughs) (laughs) oh god well we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan watches the movie my name now jaguar shark jaguar shark